Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Twilight's Bella Swan and Edward Cullen had our teenage years in a stranglehold. But the actors behind the characters, well, there was more drama there than any of us bargained for. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. G'day, Zara McDonald. Hello, Michelle Andrews. We have... A three-part series coming our listeners' way on this. And this is something that people have been messaging us to do for a long time. And I actually think when we first sat down with the Shameless Media team to brainstorm ideas for Scandal, like what celebrity controversies over the decades we wanted to cover, a lot of our team members said you need to talk about Kristen Stewart and Rob Pattinson. For whatever reason, we only found ourselves here. Maybe it's because... Rob was recently in The Batman and so he's been around everywhere and we've found him far more interesting. Yeah, I don't know why it's taken us so long, truthfully, because this has got to be one of the greatest celebrity scandals of our generation for sure. And I'm really excited to delve into both the relationship between Rob and Kristen and the cheating scandal that ultimately ended things, but also the Twilight era. Like, I think I have to be self-aware here. I was never really a Twilight kid. I don't know if you fell into a camp of being like a Harry Potter kid or a Twilight kid or Mm. you could be a combo of both. I wasn't even as much a Harry Potter kid. I don't know what I did. What? Yeah, this is the great question of Shameless. What did Zara do as a child and as a teenager? Because you didn't like The Lion King. I didn't you really didn't watch any movies. You didn't watch anything. You were just doing something else <laughs> by know. yourself in a corner, missing all of the major trends of our teenage years. Look, I've got to say, I was a massive Twilight fan. I will never forget one day at recess, I sat opposite one of my high school friends and she was reading the book and I felt this like instant connection to her. It was like a whole world unraveled before me or unlocked before me where I was like, we have so much to discuss, so much to unpack. Let's talk about Twilight. How old do you think you were when you first read it? It was probably 14 years old when I discovered Twilight and I inhaled the books as did my sisters. But I remember as well, there was this slight uncool factor about loving Twilight. So to find a friend who also loved it was really 
exciting because it wasn't really the kind of thing I was yelling from the rooftops about. What do you think, just before we jump in, I am really interested in what you think the pool was. Like, was it the love story for a lot of people? Because perhaps if someone had sold me in on that, I would have been right on in. Truthfully, looking back, I think it was like PG erotica. Yeah, was it? Yeah, it was sexy for sure. And there was also a Bridgerton-esque build-up of sexual tension across the books. And I think that is mostly what pulled everyone through. Like looking back, I'm sure the books aren't works of art per se, but I definitely think I was titillated by the storyline. But I think that's been criticism that's levelled at like a lot of really commercially successful books of our time, like Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey, Mm. is people are very quick to be like, they're terribly written. And it's like, yeah, well, they also sold millions of copies. So 120 million to be precise. Make sense of that. But I am so excited to dive into this. So let's rewind all the way back to 1986. All right, Zara, let's start by talking about who the hell Robert Pattinson was before Twilight made him a star. Yeah, so Rob was actually born in May 1986 in London. He is the youngest of three children. His mum, Claire, was actually a scout at a modelling agency, while his dad, Richard, was a second-hand car dealer who ran a business importing vintage car models from America. Yeah, but his parents have been described as arty and reportedly always encouraged Rob to pursue his interest in acting. In fact, a 1998 newsletter (laughs) at the Boys Preparatory Tower House School in East Sheen described Rob Patterson as, and I quote, a runaway winner of last term's untidy desk award. So... He wasn't the most organised kid, Zara. Yeah, exactly. But according to the Evening Standard, what he lacked in organisation, Pattinson made up for in drama skills. Now, from the age of six, he performed in numerous school productions, including playing Robert in Lord of the Flies. But as a teenager, perhaps in not the most surprising of facts to learn about (laughs) Robert Pattinson, he was expelled from Tower House. Now, the reason for that is quite remarkable. He was caught stealing porn magazines from the shops and reselling them to his classmates, Michelle. Yeah, he later told Howard Stern that he would resell each magazine for about 20 or 30 pounds. He said, I used to go in and take like one or two. Then by the end, I got so cocky, I would take an entire rack and I got caught stealing. Yes, so I don't even know what to make of that if I'm totally honest. Rob actually left there and attended the exclusive and extremely expensive Herodian School and became a member of a theatre club. Now there he starred in productions like Anything Goes and to put extremely expensive into context, this was a school, I was looking it up, that now has fees of like $17,000 per term. $17,000 a term. Rob Pattinson was a rich, rich, rich kid. He wasn't just rich. He was rich, rich. Yeah, well, he was definitely the quintessential private school boy. And I think what's really, really interesting about having really delved into his life and his early career is how much his kind of devilish private schoolboy <laughs> looks is mentioned in media and press. Yes, absolutely. Now, on the side, Rob worked as a model. When he was 14, he also fronted a rap trio. He told The Times that his rap band was, and I quote, pretty hardcore for three private school kids from suburban London. And my mum's like, cramping our style, popping her head in to ask, you boys want a sandwich? The amount of money that I would pay to hear Rob Pattinson rap is like 
out of this world. I'm trying to imagine three little white boys <laughs> in London creating their rapping trio. Now, though he did have quite small roles in other films, his first big break actually came when a casting agent introduced him to Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire director Mike Newell. Now, this might sound horrendously stupid, but I didn't realise there was that many years between Harry Potter and eventually Twilight. Like, I didn't realise he was this young when he was auditioning for Harry Potter. Oh, that's so fair. You're right. He was a teenager when he auditioned for the film. By the time when it came out in 2005, he was 18. So he, of course, played the pretty iconic role of Cedric Diggory. Like, I know it was a smaller role, but I also remember going to watch this film in the cinema and noticing him. He had huge presence, I think, on screen. He was incredibly good looking. As you say, it was a small role, but he captured a bunch of attention. The Evening Standard dubbed him at the time the next Jude Law for his scene-stealing performance. So eyes were definitely on him. And it was a huge gig at the time too, right? For sure. I mean, any Harry Potter gig is pretty incredible. The director of the film once said, Cedric exemplifies all that you would expect the Hogwarts champion to be. Robert Pattinson was born to play the role. He's Quinn essentially English with chiselled private school boy good looks. I wasn't lying. <laughs> it is everywhere. Now, apparently at this point, Rob wasn't making a bunch of cash acting. I mean, we have to remember as well, he was still quite young, but it wasn't like he left the Harry Potter role and landed a bunch of others. As The Hollywood Reporter wrote in an interview with him, Rob was, and I quote, down and out in London sharing an apartment with actor Tom Sturridge. He had at the time been fired from a production of The Woman Before at the Royal Court Theatre. And of this moment, he told The Hollywood Reporter, I don't know why I was fired. They probably said something, but I was so furious I wasn't even listening feels very Robert Pattinson that line feels from, so from the, Robert Pattinson. the little bit I know from the little bit we know from the research we've done now Rob actually at this time wasn't even sure that he wanted to pursue acting in fact he has spoken several times about how he was tempted to go into a career in politics yeah, that's a quite a bizarre one. That's also been quite recently he's mentioned that about when he was younger and he's also mentioned that he would have preferred to have gone into US politics than UK <laughs> politics, but make of that what you will. At 21, Rob actually moved to LA and slept at the home of his agent so he could audition for the rom-com film Postgrad. But he says he actually blew the audition. This is a quote of this time. Honestly, I remember talking to my family and going, I am done. I can't handle how gut-wrenching this is. And I kind of knew I was messing it up. It was my own fault. While he was in LA though, and while he was reeling from the rejection of the postgrad role, Rob decided to audition for Twilight. Did he ever. Now, As we know, when it came to Twilight, the film was based on the series of YA novels by Stephanie Meyer that had a growing cult following. Yeah, and this film, the Twilight film, almost didn't happen. So it was originally optioned by Paramount MTV Films. They turned it into a script that looked very little like the original book, though. Paramount ultimately didn't proceed with the project. Then in 2006, Summit Entertainment made a deal with Stephanie Meyer, promising her that the film would be true to her books and that, and I quote, no vampire character will be depicted with canine or incisor teeth long or more pronounced than may be found in human beings. Now, 
I imagine that was important to Stephanie because in her books, the vampires were living amongst humans. They weren't like immediately detectable by their appearance. They had slightly pale skin, but that was really it. Yeah, exactly. And I think it speaks that quote to the fact that Stephanie Meyer wasn't just optioning this book and walking away. Like she did want some sort of say on what it looked like on screen. I think particularly for young young women, like young teenagers reading this book, you concoct an image of what you think the story looks like. Mm. And I think you want to try and stay true to that. Now, Stephanie Meyer, very interestingly, had two very different actors in mind to play Edward and Bella. She had imagined Henry Cavill playing the vampire and Australian actress Emily Browning to play Bella. What's really interesting about this is Henry was actually deemed too old at the ripe old age of about 24. Now, Stephanie had like quite a popular blog on her website at the time and she wrote of this, the most disappointing thing for me is losing my perfect Edward. Henry Cavill is now 24 years old. Let us have a moment of quiet in which we mourn. I don't want to take this too seriously because it is just like a side point. Surely a 24-year-old actor would have been fine. It's Henry Cavill. He's like divine. Would anyone – he's supposed to be playing a 100-year-old vampire. Would anyone have raised an eyebrow? Well, how old was Robert when he ended up getting the role, just to jump forward a bit? He was was only 21 or 22. Like, it's not that market. Also, you look at the actresses playing Bridgerton characters. I know somehow we've mentioned Bridgerton twice in this episode. They're in their 30s, meant to be playing teenagers. Yes. So we've kind of got used to seeing that. But clearly Henry Cavill wasn't right. When it came to Emily Browning, the Australian actress that Stephanie Meyer wanted for Bella, Emily Browning actually turned down the chance to audition for the role because she said, and I quote, she was at a point in her career where she wasn't sure she wanted to work. She said, I definitely didn't want to sign on to a trilogy, so I didn't audition. Yeah, Emily later told Vogue Australia that it was a good decision for her. She said, where would I be now if I had that role? Kristen Stewart in particular and Robert Pattinson to a lesser degree got so much attention. She added that the spotlight generated by the Twilight saga would have turned her into a hermit-like character. I really like this kind of tidbit here because I think so often we're told one narrative about success which is like you should be striving to be whatever it is the best you can possibly be in whatever industry you work in and Emily Browning kind of had this silver platter being like the author of the book wants you this could be your fast track to one of the most famous people in the world one of the most successful people in your industry and she said I couldn't think of anything worse yeah I don't want that now back to Rob Pattinson he had done an audition tape for Twilight while he was living in London with his friend friend and roommate Tom Sturridge playing the role of Bella. Now, Twilight's director, Catherine Hardwick, actually called Rob from the US. He received that phone call at 2.30 in the morning and spoke back and forth about the video. According to Rob, they had, and I quote, this ridiculous conversation. I hadn't read the books or the script or anything, and I just bullshitted on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) I just, what? I think what's interesting about Robert Pattinson is I can't quite tell even to this day whether a lot of these quotes are like completely tongue in cheek or if there are kernels of seriousness about him. But it kind of, I have this like tiny morsel of annoyance. Same. No, you know what it is? Yeah. Quotes like this, if they're true, which as you said, we don't know. Maybe he's pulling our leg and taking the piss because he loves being sarcastic as we know our sweet, sweet Rob can be. He's not having much respect for the other person in this story. If he's giving quotes to magazines saying, I bullshitted my way on the phone, I didn't even read the script, I didn't even read the books, 
That is a severe lack of respect, not just for Catherine Hardwick, the woman in that phone call, but also for Stephanie Meyer, the person who has catapulted you to fame by writing the very series that made you famous. Yeah, and also I think a pretty big lack of respect for people who are also auditioning by your side. Like, yep. people who are really trying to get this role and you're like, I just kind of landed it without even trying. Now, apparently Catherine hadn't been so sure that he was right for the role. She said he'd been fired from his last job, but he was unemployed. He was in debt. Now, apparently, according to reports, the person who convinced her to take a chance on Rob was, in fact, Kristen Stewart. But we will get to that after the break. All right, Zara, it is time to meet Kristen Stewart. When Twilight came along, she was in a very different place in her career because she had worked for so many years as a child actor in Hollywood. Unlike Rob Pattinson, Kristen was raised in the industry. She was born in April 1990, grew up with three brothers. Her dad was a stage manager and her mum was a script supervisor. Again, like another kid who had a lot of awareness of the industry. Now, there's this amazing interview that Kristen actually did with The New Yorker just last year where she talked about her upbringing and her career so far. She said when she was in second grade, she found out about a workshop that was running that taught children how to audition for TV and movies. Kristen Stewart surprised her mother by asking to sign up. LA is like such a weird town. Or do we have that that in Melbourne? A workshop that teaches children how to audition for TV and movies. Maybe we have that here. It just feels very LA. I mean, for it to be going around a classroom as well, like she was in second grade and finds out through a classmate, I don't think that was a thing at my primary school. Well, wasn't it mine or else I would have been right on in there. (laughs) Oh, same. So while Kristen's parents had always encouraged her to pursue her dreams, her mum wasn't super keen on the fact that Kristen wanted to become an actress. Kristen told The New Yorker, I think when I presented her with this, she was like, shit, I've told Kristen she can do whatever she wants. Now I have to drive her to these fucking auditions. That is pretty funny. I can imagine my mum thinking about stuff I once signed up for. My mum, I don't think, was ever super super keen on me doing swimming. I don't think she was partial to a a. 4am wake-up. Mum and Dad never said strictly not allowed to do something, but I'm sure they sort of like microdosed me in my sleep (laughs) saying like, you don't want to be a rower. (laughs) I should do that with my kids. Now, Kristen tried out for different commercials but got her big break at the age of 10 when she landed a role in the indie drama The Safety of Objects. But her career really properly took off when David Fincher cast her as Jodie Foster's daughter in the thriller Panic Room. Huge role. Yeah, massive role. As a teenager, Kristen actually appeared in a number of high-profile movies, working alongside actors like Dennis Quaid, Sharon Stone and Sean Penn. In 2007, when she was 17, she actually shot the drama film Adventureland. That was alongside Jesse Eisenberg and Ryan Reynolds. And it was during filming Zara when Twilight or more specifically its director, Catherine Hardwick, came knocking. Exactly. Now, Twilight's director, Catherine Hardwick, had seen Kristen in an early cut of the film Into the Wild. In one scene, 
Her character watches this guy do sit-ups with what the New Yorker kind of described as exasperation and desire. I watched this on YouTube, by the way, and that is a perfect... Do you think so? She's like biting her lips sitting in a caravan or a trailer, watching this guy in the distance get all sweaty and look muscly, and she has this like burning desire within her. Well, that wasn't just that as well. In Adventureland, her character also had an affair with Ryan Reynolds. So at this point in her career, I think those two stories are here to say she was used to more mature roles. Like she was only 17, but she was used to kind of, she wasn't like a child actor that struggled to break out of that Disney mold. She was very used to this kind of stuff. Very adult for sure. Now, Catherine said that she saw the kind of longing that Bella Swan needed to embody and flew out there and then to audition Kristen for the part. Catherine told The New Yorker, at the end of the audition, I was just convinced she's Bella. She's got to be Bella because she keeps it so grounded and so real. I built the whole film around her. Quite a compliment to Kristen Stewart. And then next, of course, they needed to find Edward. Now, Catherine had actors come to her home in LA to read with Kristen and to make out. (laughs) Now, obviously, chemistry does have to be a big factor in this book. As you said at the very top of this episode, it was like a PG erotica and a, a lot of the young kids, young people reading this book were being pulled into this movie based off this chemistry. So it needed to work. Yes. Despite her initial reservations, Catherine gave Robert a shot and he actually made his way to LA. Now, Catherine once said she actually has footage of their first meeting at her dining room table. She could auction that off. She absolutely could. Now, what is a little precarious perhaps is that Catherine also got Rob and Kristen to do a romantic scene in her bedroom on her bed. Of this, she told MTV, I said, I know you just met, but I need you to do this scene. We're going to do it in my bedroom on the bed and you're really going to kiss. Now, this is obviously their profession. So on one hand, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is a professional scene that needs to be auditioned. It's important for the plot and for the movie and the success of the Twilight film franchise. However, on the other hand... You also have a man in his early 20s and a teenage girl who is 17 on a director's bed making out. There's a few things about this that make me uncomfortable, mostly Kristen's age and the fact that this happened in a producer's or a director's home. I wish this had happened in a studio maybe. The story is weird because as I said at the start, obviously you're going to have to get them to kiss. Like that seems like obvious to me. But odd to me, and this is the thing, I don't know the industry inside out, but odd to me that they wouldn't have a more professional setting like a studio to sort of keep the boundaries, like to have a very visible wall up to say like, this is your job and we are at work. Rather than on the bed your director sleeps in, there is something that leaves a weird taste in your mouth, right? Yeah, for sure. And I don't know, hearing that this happened in the director's house, I guess I instantly go, oh, okay, well, there's no management around or there are no minders around to kind of protect the actors and be their coach or be that person who steps in if things go too far. Maybe there were managers around. Maybe those people were in the room. Maybe they did have their team members there. But something just feels off about it. Well, I think the way that the story has been told kind of demands that we feel off about it. Like mm-hmm. maybe the onus is on the storytellers like Catherine Hardwick to give us those details to make us feel a little more comfortable. And we also should say it's not a story that Kristen Stewart or Rob Pattinson have ever really mentioned or worried about either though. Now, apparently, according to Catherine Hardwick, the first take was so, and I quote, 
wild <laughs> that she had to remind Rob that the movie was supposed to be PG-13. <laughs> she once said, Kristen was like, it's got to be Rob. She felt connected to him from that first moment, that electricity or love at first sight or whatever it is. Catherine gave Rob the part but also warned him. She said, you've got to realise that Kristen is 17 years old. She's underage. You've got to focus, dude, or you're going to be arrested. I made him swear on a stack of Bibles. Like quick pivot as well, away from the other quotes we've read as well. It's it's bizarre to now put the focus on the fact she's 17, given what we know. Anyway, talking to The New Yorker, Kristen said Rob, and I quote, had an intellectual approach that was combined with, I don't give a fuck about this, but I'm going to make this sing. (sighs) That quote is fascinating to me. It's like this intellectual approach. Forgive me if I am reading into this too much, but you do get a sense with Robert Pattinson and maybe from Christian Stewart, but particularly Robert Pattinson, that that actually kind of does sum him up, that he kind of thinks he's smarter than everybody else, but he also doesn't really give a fuck about the things that he's doing, but he still kind of wants to do them well. Yeah. It's weird that Christian could sum him up so succinctly when after all of our research, we have kind of had just like, I don't know, we're just cloudy on him. But I think that does sum it up. He seems to think he's very intellectual and he seems to think that makes him above everyone somehow. And I think it probably should be noted, this attitude from Rob in particular about being intellectual or artsier than the average Hollywood person, as well as his disdain for the industry, continued throughout his entire involvement with the Twilight franchise. Well, and that's exactly the thing, right? It's like he had this level of disdain for perhaps the industry or perhaps thought he was, you know, a bit arty on the arty kind of periphery of Mm. the industry but he was in one of the most commercial mainstream films for (laughs) young people so you can imagine how this weighed on him someone who I'm gonna say is clearly a bit of a snob from the beginning we know that Rob was critical of the story and its character he told E! News back in 2008 he thought that Stephanie Meyer had just written down her sexual fantasy and published it this is what he said Like, some things about Edward are so specific. I was just convinced, like, this woman is mad. She's completely mad and she's in love with her own fictional creation. And sometimes you would feel uncomfortable about reading this thing. He also admitted he ran out of the film at the premiere because, and I quote, he couldn't handle it anymore. Is there even anything to say? Like, I'm not saying that Rob Pattinson cannot think this and believe this. Does he have to tell the world this? Like... It just comes across as really fucking snarky and ungrateful. Very snarky and ungrateful. And it just is sort of at odds with the people like Harry Styles now who are like overly grateful about their fan base and their music and the part of the industry they find themselves in. Like it really doesn't read well when you make that comparison too. Not at all, particularly when you're describing someone as mad or even like giving the inference that they're a bit of a sexual freak and this is their fantasy that's just gone wild. Like why did you take the role then, Rob? No one forced you to take the role. Now it goes without saying the hype for the release of the first Twilight movie was massive. Kristen once said that the moment she realised Twilight was going to be a huge deal was actually when she attended Comic-Con in San Diego in 2008. Now this was five months before the film's release and she said it was the first piece of promotion for Twilight that any of us had done so we had no real expectations. There were thousands and thousands of 
of people waiting for us. That was the moment when we felt how powerful this thing was going to be. It was me, Rob, Ashley Green, Taylor Lautner, and we were just looking at each other and we were like, what the hell is going on? On November 21, 2008, the first Twilight movie came out. Do you remember watching it? Yeah, of course I do. I've watched it recently as well. Have you really? Yeah. How do you think it ages having watched it recently? You know what? I think people were too harsh on it back then. I re-watched all of the Twilight films with my sister Evelyn last year maybe and we thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. I had so much fun. Like it was very nostalgic and I absolutely loved it. What about you? What's your memory of watching it? I watched, I think I've only ever watched the first one and I went with a couple of girlfriends who were like Twilight nuts and mm. I just didn't want to be excluded from the pack. So I, and I remember really enjoying it. Yeah. I remember really enjoying it. Were you team Edward or team Jacob? Jacob was Taylor Lautner, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the werewolf. So the whole vibe was the werewolves were like the oh, warm, yes, yes. sunny ones and then the vampires were the cold, brooding, but also like super romantic ones. Yeah, I quite liked Jacob. Yeah. What were, who were you? I kind of flipped between. I think I always wanted her to end up with Edward ultimately, but I loved the love triangle. We know I love a cheating storyline as well, <laughs> and there was a small cheating storyline somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable how it captured the attention of so many young people. Like, as we said, the film was an instant success. To give some perspective, it had been made on a relatively modest budget for a blockbuster, we should say, of $32 million. It grossed over $407 million worldwide. Yeah, and I think that as well was partly testament to Catherine Hardwick, the director's talent. Now, years later, Catherine actually told Vanity Fair that she only directed the first film and declined the opportunity to direct the next four because she was so frustrated by Summit's lack of investment in the project. She told the magazine, Summit executives came to me and said, you've got to find a way to cut $4 million out of the budget in the next four days or we're pulling the plug. When she told Summit that that would mean cutting some of the best cinematic action sequences, stunts, set pieces and effects, she thought they would change their minds, that they would see what needed to be cut and they'd go, you know what, it's too important for the movie, let's just go ahead with the original budget. But they didn't do that. They did slash the budget. And while Catherine went on with the project anyway, she was disgruntled by how Little Summit was committed to making the first Twilight film a success. I think I would give this a pass if they weren't based on books that already had cult followings. Yes. Do you know what I mean? If directors really just didn't have any sense that this was going to go off, I would say, I mean, fair play, whatever. Mm. But knowing the success of the books, knowing the market, the target market of the books, feels a little silly and short-sighted to not invest in this kind of series. I mean, again, to put this into context, Catherine was given, as we said, about $32 million to make Twilight, another book series franchise that was adapted for cinema three years earlier, The Chronicles of Narnia, was given about $186 million. Now, I do want to say The Chronicles of Narnia probably demanded a little more in terms of special effects. Yeah. But that much, like 32 million versus 186 million is quite a discrepancy. Yeah. And when you look at the number of books sold between Twilight and Chronicles of Narnia, they're very, very similar figures, both over 100 million copies. So it's curious to me that the executives at Summit kind of didn't really care too much about the teenage girl fan base when I would say that is one of the most commercially viable fan bases you can get for a film. Yeah, that's probably very true. And I think perhaps this goes away 
to explaining why Twilight was so critically panned. The New York Times described it, and I quote, as a deeply sincere, outright goofy vampire romance with a hot not to trot abstinence set. We are talking about teenagers watching this, by the way. Yeah. Anyway, the Times also said the character of Edward was a bore, but did praise Robert's attempt at playing him, describing him, and I quote, as capable and exotically beautiful. Yeah, so essentially Robert did the best he could with a bad deck of cards. Yeah. I guess critics are allowed to criticise that is their job. And a lot of movies that are incredibly commercial also aren't critical successes, but... As we know, they didn't have a heap to work with either. No, and it feels a little bit like maybe Catherine Hardwick was set up to fail if she wasn't given the budget to make it like a cinematic masterpiece that people might have expected. The LA Times called the film a romance and said that all the stories inherent silliness aside, it is intent on conveying the magic of meeting that one special person you've been waiting for. Maybe it is possible to be 13 and female for a few hours after all. Is that a sweet quote or an annoying one? I I am torn. Yeah. Part of me just wants to take it at face value and say sweet. I'm tired. Yeah, I'm tired Uh, too. I don't want to pick apart everything. You know what, LA Times? Green pass, green light. (laughs) Gorgeous, beautiful, how romantic, magical. Now, the first film marked Catherine Hardwick's exit from the franchise. It became a franchise, very interestingly, that would go on to be directed exclusively by men. Now, Catherine Hardwick has commented on this. She said there's lots of projects like that. The list of examples go on and on. There's stories written by women, about women, and given to male directors over and over and over. Yeah. Annoyingly, the next film of Twilight's franchise, New Moon, got a budget of over $50 million. By the end of things, the male director of the final Twilight film had over $100 million to work with. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. It, it definitely makes sense. It seems pretty like self-explanatory that budget would go up per movie. Mm. Do you know what I mean? For a franchise that was incredibly successful. In this kind of story, it feels very interesting that maybe she was really going up against a wall Mm. of men in the industry who were cutting her budget and making her job very, very hard. She made a film that was a runaway success and other men in the industry kind of got the fruits of that success. A hundred percent. I don't think it's like the deepest or most cataclysmic thing in the world, but it would be remiss of us to not include it. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing to note about the franchise anyway. Now let's go back to the first Twilight film hitting the screens because suddenly Rob and Kristen were catapulted to global fame. Like I would go as far to say they were the two most famous young actors of their time. Yeah, maybe aside from the Harry Potter actors, they would have been the most famous teen actors and teen stars in the world. By the time that Twilight film came out, Kristen and Rob's fame had definitely gone to new heights. Catherine Hardwick said in Rome there were absolute mobbings when they did a press tour for the film. Yeah, she also went on to say, I don't know how many girls with braces tried to kiss Rob. Rob himself added that they would ask and if you said no, they would kiss you anyway. Yeah, by this point there was already merch coming out with Rob Pattinson's face all over it. We're talking T-shirts, trading cards, a board game, even samples of underwear with Rob Pattinson's face on them. (laughs) Now, while Kristen also gained a legion of fans, her portrayal of Bella was also on the receiving end of a lot of hate. She was made fun of for what people called an emotionless stare and a half laugh that she did throughout the first film. Yeah, the New Yorker, looking back on this time, wrote that some parts of the internet, and I quote, 
fix an impression of her as the oddly inexpressive star of mawkish teen movies. Online, a host of memes appeared featuring images of Stuart with captions such as five movies, one facial expression, or I don't always smile, but when I do, I don't. Sorry, <laughs> so I brutal. It's just ridiculous. The quote went on, the jokes captured something about Stuart's naturalism and restraint, qualities of her acting that some find captivating and others inscrutable. Isn't this interesting? Because I definitely feel like I fell into this trap as a young woman. I feel like I was told that Kristen Stewart had the OG resting bitch face. Yes, that is so true. And that she didn't smile and therefore like couldn't possibly be a nice person. And it probably took me getting older and understanding the messages that I'd been fed to realise that really isn't necessarily the case. But I don't think that public perception of Kristen was helped at all by the story that's going to come later, this cheating, because I think the world really unfortunately and not by her own fault had a picture of who she was. Yeah, that is so interesting and I agree with you. I think partly Kristen and Rob were mocked so very much for their portrayal of Edward and Bella because, again, they were kind of set up to fail. The books wrote of Edward and Bella as being these like – like more beautiful than you could imagine (laughs) humans. Like I remember reading this and thinking Bella has the most perfect skin and the most beautiful hair and these like piercing eyes that you just can't look away from. And Edward is the most beautiful carved man. Like he's carved from stone. He's so stunning. If you set the bar that high, almost any actor that you cast in that role will disappoint people or disappoint someone out there. And I think unfortunately for Kristen and Rob, that bar was almost impossible to reach. The books had such fandom that the opportunity to disappoint was rife. That's probably a very good point. So that's what was happening on the big screen. But what about what was happening off the big screen? Well, by many accounts, Kristen and Rob had grown quite close on the set of the first film. Writer Larry Carroll, who worked on the movies, wrote on Twitter a bit later They were very into building chemistry but barely knew each other then. To play such intimate characters for several movies, they knew they had a lot of work to do. Yeah, he went on. They'd share books, watch movies together and hit local clubs. As soon as Catherine Hardwick called cut, they'd almost always head off together. The chemistry was undeniable. I was on set for two full days and the only time they weren't together was when I did my one-on-one with Rob. Plus, at the end of 2008, Rob and Kristen posed together for a spread in Vanity Fair. Now, Rob and Kristen looked incredibly comfortable around each other and the three photos that Vanity Fair shared sent Twilight fans into a frenzy. After they begged the publication (laughs) for a few more, Vanity Fair actually released nine more images from the shoot. Now, these images are quite captivating because... I looked at these images as we were researching and I thought straight away, oh, well, they must have been dating at this time because yeah. they're all over each other. She is in this like black strapless mini dress. He's in like a black T-shirt and maybe I'm going to say grey suit pants. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if grey was the right <laughs> colour. They were both in Converse high tops. Yeah. And I don't know what the pose is called when she's sort of leaning back on him. Well, there's that. But also he's holding her. Like she's jumped into his lap. Yep. He's standing and she's sitting. What is that pose called? I don't know Zara McDonald. I don't but think you we have a name for point. it. Just, I'm trying to look at the photos again now because these are iconic and I remember when these came out how good they were. Yeah, so she's straddling him. It's that. He's standing up and she's straddling she's him. She's straddling him and she's like 
her cheek is resting on his forehead. We will share these on Instagram, guys. Do not worry. Do not fret. These will be all over our Instagram. The other one I want to talk to you about, though, Zara, is the shot where Robert Pattinson is bending over almost to make an L with his body and his legs to the floor, and his head is against Kristen's tummy and they look like Tetris blocks. Yes. It's an extraordinary shoot because I would have just thought, (laughs) oh, well, they were obviously happy to pose like this as boyfriend and girlfriend. And it's no surprise that around this time and by 2009, there was rife speculation by press and the fans that these two were together. There was just sort of one small or rather one quite big problem. (laughs) Kristen all throughout this time had a long-term boyfriend and Rob was rumoured to be dating one of their co-stars. But how they got together and how they were eventually brought undone in the most public and scandalous of ways will be on the next episode of Scandal. Yeah, that's all we've got time for today. Boy, is there still a lot to come. As always, a massive thank you to our researcher, Justine Landers-Hanley, who helps us with these ones. She's done a stellar job She would have done these for free, Uh, Justine. It's a massive Twilight fan. I reckon she probably would have done them for free (laughs) too. As always as well, guys, you can find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast, on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast, (laughs) the underscore that kills Michelle. And as always, please click follow, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps us out in the charts, gets us new listeners every single week. Other than that, guys, we'll be back in your ears on Thursday. Yeah, see you then. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.